From New Dog Media and Phoenix Fifth, it's the Settle Smarter Podcast. Hello, hello from Settle Smarter. This is producer Paul Godwin, and on behalf of Dana Look Aramoto and our entire team, we want to thank you for a great first season. Before we get going with season two in 2021, we thought it'd be fun to take a look back at this tumultuous learning experience we call 2020. So step into the Wayback Machine, and let's hear some great interview snippets from Dana and her guests, Ashish Kaushal, Eve Rodsky, Ginny Clark, Rob Holman, and Chester Elton. If you ever feel like a hamster inside of a wheel running a sprint inside of a marathon while balancing on top of a teeter-totter, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Settle Smarter with me, Dana Look Arimoto. Let's get started off with episode 11, Consciously Unbiased Founder, Ashish Kaushal. Welcome, Ashish. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. You and I talk a lot about the impetus for you to launch a movement. What would you say to the listeners, Ashish, very specifically about one, two, three things you want them to take action on and do right now? The first thing is if you hear somebody say a racist, common racist joke, don't laugh at it and actually address it because being silent is being complicit. The second thing would be become well-read in this, right? I think like, if you don't know the history around um, racism, then I think you're not going to be able to solve it, right? Because you don't understand it. And, and I think if you hear other people's stories, you'll realize it's not a thing in the past. It's stuff that happens to you every day that you're not realizing because you might be blessed to not have that experience. Um, and so that's that brings in empathy, right? And so... And then the last thing is, I know we're all sort of fired up right now and we're afraid to say the wrong thing because everyone's kind of being shamed out of, out of that. Um, I think if your intent is in the right place and you're asking questions and you're being curious, the other people will respond well as long as it's coming from a place that's good, right? But I think the silence is worse because it shows you don't care. In terms of terminology, just don't use extreme words, right? So if you say like, I never lie, you pretty much are telling people you're a liar because it's not possible, right? So if you say, I don't see color, that means you're not seeing them and that's not really helpful. I know you're doing it from a good place, but what it ultimately says, I don't either see you or I'm just hiding the feelings I have. Talk about the gut for a minute. Talk about the soul level stuff. If your gut tells you, like you said earlier, you kind of know what you want to do. Is it worth the risk to just do something even if you screw it up? 100% 100% is worth it, right? Because look, the way society moves forward is through learning and learning doesn't happen unless you make mistakes. And for our listeners that are concerned about doing the right thing and therefore not doing something, mm-hmm. how do they get started? What is the most micro habit, incremental thing they might do right now? I'd say actually just listen, honestly. This is sage advice. We talked about this in another podcast and it was sage advice from my former boss who has since passed away, retired colonel in the military. And he said, listen, with his Birmingham, Alabama accent, he said, listen, little angel, you got two ears, you got two eyes and you got one mouth. You know why God did that? I said, no, sir, because you called him, sir. He said, because you need to listen. And you need to watch way more than you talk. And that stuck with me. It's been with me, I don't know, nine, 10 years. And I would really encourage all of you to really open your ears, open your minds, open your eyes, open your hearts, open your soul. This is not an easy time. 
So we are seeking commonality. It's a place to start. You will find something in common with anyone else that you interact with. Today's guest is someone very special. Her name is Eve Rodsky. She is the inventor of and author of Fair Play and the Fair Play System. Tell us about the moment where you were like, wait a minute. Fair Play really did start with a text my husband sent me that just said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. Um, so let's just talk about what happened when the day I received that text. And maybe you can picture the scene with me. So I had a breast pump and a diaper bag on the passenger seat of my car. I had gifts for a newborn baby to return in the back seat of my car. I was racing to get my older son, Zach, who was three at the time, from his toddler transition program. And in America, because we value working families, right, those programs last like seven minutes. So I was racing to pick him up. Um, I had a client contract on my lap. So it was actually sitting on my lap as I was driving. And there was a pen. I do everything analog. So there was a pen that was stabbing me in the vagina every time I hit, hit the brakes. So I was being stabbed in the vagina by my pen. I was trying to mark up this contract, racing to get Zach. And then on top of this crazy freaking day where I'm so overwhelmed, um, uh, I apparently can't even manage a grocery list, according to my husband, right? I get this. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries text. And so I think the thing that really got me that day was this idea that I used to be Eve, like a human um, with an identity. And now all of a sudden I feel like I'm fulfiller of your smoothie needs, right? Like that's, that, that felt like where I was at that time. The life-changing magic is in long-term thinking. It is in Dana, you say you lost your shit 20 years ago. Where do I want to be 20 years later? What do I want my life to look like when I'm an empty nester, when my kids are in college? What do I want my life to look like when I'm 60, when I'm 70? Um, and too many of us are so surprised with all this invisible labor and the overwhelm and having to do it, quote unquote, do it all, that I just said, I will never, I never want another woman to do what I did and have to opt out of the workforce because I didn't have, quote unquote, choice. Um, over how I use my time. You also have a very clear message on multitasking. I will tell you about the day that I visited a neuroscientist, but what he said to me off the record was, imagine Eve, that we, he's talking about men, could convince you, um, women, that you are better, that your half of the population is better at wiping asses and doing dishes. How great for my half of the population um, if you think that you're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. So that was actually a day that, Dana, that was probably the only other day besides the blueberries day where I actually sobbed in this man's office and it was embarrassing. Uh, I'm going to need to nap after this. I don't care what I've got the rest of my day. I'm going to have to like clear the day and get in bed. Today, Dana's guest is Rob Holman. I want to just jump right in. You have a couple of books out, Lead the Way and All In. And in particular, I want to ask you something specifically about work-life integration and the blend, if you will, Rob, of personal and professional when going all in. What would you tell our listeners? How the heck do they even do that? Yeah, no, great question, Dana. First of all, thank you. I'm honored to be with you and honored to talk and do a deep dive in the things that really matter in life. For sure. You know, for me, uh, I've done a lot of work in the Middle East. 
and uh, namely in Afghanistan and a little bit in Dubai as well. And I've really learned over the years that we have a lot to learn from the Eastern part of the world. And, and one of the things that I've learned quite a bit over the years is talking about work-life integration uh, is that we, we ourselves, regardless of the titles that we have, the responsibilities that we have, we take ourselves with us wherever we go. And it's important to understand who you are, your identity. So much gets back to identity. And they've really helped me, my, my friends over there have really helped me understand that our lives shouldn't be boxed in. Like we're going from this box to this box. Take off this hat now, then I'm putting on a new hat over here. But our life should be like a wheel with many spokes. And, and, uh, and so they've really helped open my eyes to that over the years. And it's been a process like it is for all of us. And now I've just, at age 44, I've entered into a place of freedom, understanding how I'm knit together, how I'm wired, and that you can truly only give what you got. So I have a lot to give away in the season. What would you tell the listeners in terms of that wheel? So I love your wheel analogy, but you don't yeah. want them running a sprint inside of a marathon, do you? No, not at all. I, I think it's just more of that, like, hey, the, the centerpiece of the wheel is, is who you are. In a sense, then, the spokes become these different aspects of my life that help the wheel go around. But I'm not, it's not like I'm this spoke, then I got to take off my hat and go into this spoke, and I got to change who I am depending on the spokes. The spokes work together, and, and the center of it all is who I am, and I'm free to be who I am. And out of that place, then, you know, I go wherever and, you know, whether I'm dad, I'm, it doesn't matter because I am who I am and I'm free to be that person. So in essence, Dana, there's a liberation that comes living out of that place. I want to ask you about silence. I know you have a strong philosophy and belief system around silence. And for some of our listeners, even for myself, it's really hard to just slow it down, turn it off and just be quiet. Talk to us about that. Yeah, you're, Dana, you're talking to what some would probably call an extrovert of extroverts. So I think many of the listeners uh, may be extroverts, may be introverts. It doesn't really matter. We all need to learn to slow down. I think if you look in, in general conversation, specific conversation in all facets of our life, uh, we are quick to offer our opinions. We are quick to chime in to try to fix problems. And what we're not doing in that is we're not listening to the other person. So what I've found is if I can even get alone, so I've learned the discipline of getting alone and I just call it a quiet time. Listen, if five-year-olds need quiet times, I think a 44 might need a quiet time once in a while. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> so, well, I'm 52 and I need a timeout, but I just take it <laughs> as I need it. Because when you get to my age, you don't give a crap anymore. You're like, I'm going to take a timeout now. <laughs> my clients know, my kids know, my husband yeah. knows. The four rescue dogs know, except the fourth one in our infinite wisdom is deaf. So we've okay. had to teach him sign language. And of course he's adaptive because animals yeah. adapt almost better yeah. than human beings. So True. I guess we can learn from them. We certainly can. No, I hear you. And when you started going time out, I'm like, that might be a topic of another conversation we need to visit another time. So, so for me, learning to get alone consistently, and you can call it whatever you want. Some people call it a quiet time, a devotional time, a time of solitude, a time of rest. Some people, depending on how young their kids are, they'll get in the bathroom and lock the bathroom door. Other times people take a, a walk in creation and get beside a body of water. Whatever it looks like, whatever it looks like for you. But we've got to value it enough to just take time to breathe. And what I mean by that is, you know, you can open your eyes, close your eyes, do whatever, take some deep breaths and learn how to be present. 
Because what I've learned is what silence, embracing silence truly does, starting with yourself, moving on to other people, again, inside out, it really, it really speaks and even shouts presence. Am I present with creation? Am I present with even myself and my own thoughts? Am I present with the other person that I may even disagree with in the moment? And I find that when we learn the discipline of silence, then all of a sudden it begins slowly but surely breaking into more and more of a lifestyle we live. And then we are slow to speak and quick to listen. And that's where magic happens. Let's zoom back to episode six. Dana's interview was with Virginia Ginny Clark, Director of Leadership Staffing at Google. Let's check it out. So let's get into it. Let's talk about change and systems. Why don't you educate us on what that means inside of people's career and how they map their, themselves, their competencies, and their own way forward? Yeah, I, maybe I can give just a quick background on how I came up with the book. I had been an executive recruiter with the firm Spencer Stewart for um, 12 years. And it started writing the book after I'd worked there about six years. And what I noticed is that that people kept coming to me saying, you're going to help me find a job. And I'd say, well, that's actually not what I do. I don't find jobs for people. I find people for open roles at the, the executive level. And I was doing that because I always try to set people's expectations. And I didn't want them thinking, oh, she didn't help me. It's like, well, that's because I'm only working on a very finite number of opportunities. And the likelihood that you are going to line up with one of those is really, really low. And so instead, what I thought about was, how about if I could give a gift to people and basically mimic the executive search process for the benefit of the individual? And so that's what I've done in the book is to really break down how does one conduct a search for oneself? And it doesn't start by uh, writing a resume. It starts by you being introspective, just like with our clients. My clients are the people that are hiring. Um, they need to start with what is the role I need filled? Okay, what is the job you want to do? My son's now 23, almost 24. And what I keep telling him, we had a conversation literally this morning where he was saying, you know, I don't know if I really love this thing that I'm doing. He's in the entertainment space and went to USC and graduated and all that. Yay, out of my house. Um, and I, he said, should I look for something now? And I said, well, why wouldn't you? I said, I, I know that a lot of companies have slowed their hiring. And if for no other reason that for the people that they've already extended offers to, they can't necessarily onboard, right? So the hiring has slowed but it's, it's going to continue. And so I said, why wouldn't you at least apply? This is a perfect time for you to get your, throw your hat in the ring, but do it deliberately, meaning do it intentionally with something in mind that you want to do that, have that role for a reason, because you think it's going to get you to that next thing. I'm not asking you to know what the next 40 years are going to look like. I'm not. I'm just saying, put a stake in the ground today. Do you love it? Is this work that you can see yourself doing? What other component parts of what, you, what activities would you like to be able to do every day? And then he started to kind of relax and go, oh, okay, well then, all right, well, I'm going to apply for this. Perfect. Go. 
if you're not looking while you don't have to, you might really be missing an opportunity to Jenny's point. That is the best time to put your feelers out there and to really propel yourself forward versus holding yourself back. So can you talk to our listeners about maybe a few quick tips as to what they can do to push forward and get closer to that bullseye of what they really want, what they're really good at, what they love? Well, I always start with that assessment, the introspective assessment of what do you have in your toolkit? You know, what are you, what are your competencies? And and the way I address them in my book is to, to say they are the deconstructed elements. They're portable. They're those things that, that you have learned to do that you could do in a different function. Someone negotiates really well. Okay. If you negotiated in a sales role, then you could probably negotiate in a different kind of role or function. So you need to be the one to articulate what those component parts are, pull them apart, put them back together in the minds of that hiring manager for the role that you actually want. And there's nothing more, and Danny, you know this, you've interviewed thousands of people, I'm sure. You can tell when someone isn't committed. Where's the motivation? Where's the thought that you put in? You know, don't just tell me all the stuff that you've done. Tell me how you did it and why you think you're the best one for that role. So the propulsion needs to come from you coming, having had a sense of clarity about where you're trying to go. You can't just sit back and wait for someone to tap you on the shoulder. Let's finish off our best of 2020 with Dana's interview with Chester Elton. Some real pearls of positivity ahead. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you in season two. I say to leaders in particular, there are two words that I think are critical. One is to be intentional and the other is to be disciplined. The idea of being intentional is when those people's uh, names pop into your head that maybe you haven't talked to in a while or you're a little worried about and just haven't found the time to reach out, go ahead and do it. Be disciplined enough to just reach out. Send them a text, you know, call them on on their mobile or set up a little Zoom, you know, tea or whatever you want to call it. And make sure that those people are included. What I love about that intentionality is that it brings back to what our parents taught us when we were just, you know, four and five years old, that it's always better to give than receive. Because when you give, you always receive. And what I love about that intentionality and discipline is that when you do it on a regular basis, whatever medium you want to use, the ripple effect and, and, and the reverberation that comes back to you is so affirming and so helpful for you, the leader or you, the parent or you, the friend in any, in any situation. And so I, I love that you put the two together, that I don't just give it, that I also find ways to receive. And then lastly is, you know, receive it grace, gracefully, Re- receive it graciously. You know, so often we'll get a compliment, we'll say, oh, no, 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 oh, no, no, no. Don't do that. You know, don't, don't diminish the gift. When people give you those compliments or say nice things about you, say, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, that, for those kind words. It means the world to me. That's honoring their gratitude. That's honoring the gift. 
Chester, I just caught uh, your TEDx talk at Fordham. And I have to say, for the number of audiences I've been in and the number of times I've been on stage, um, I was a musical performer, lead singer, band leader, etc. You're pointing out to the audience that when they give you a big round of applause, that they feel better too, and you feel better. I just thought that was a really keen insight because I, I just had never heard that pointed out, that it feels good to clap for people. You know, it does. And it's so interesting. Uh, many of us, and I include myself in this, you know, when people ask you for a favor, right? They say, hey, Paul, can you do me a favor? Your initial reaction is, of course, of course. And yet I'd be willing to bet that you're slow to ask for that favor. You know, there's a, a great old saying, and I've heard it in different iterations, whether it's an African parable or, or South American or even Arctic explorers, you know, they say, look, if you want to go fast, uh, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that's, that's what you're saying is say, look, we can do a lot of things on our own. We can power through. We can be the alpha male or the, the, the AAA personality, whatever you want to call it. And we can get a lot done and feel really good about ourselves. If we really want to create something amazing, if we really want to uh, leave a legacy, you never do that by yourself. You always do that together. And the way that you do that is you ask for people to participate. You ask, you know, in a business sense, you ask for their opinion, their voices heard, their ideas are meaningful. It's the help that they give that continues to engage them, not just intellectually, also emotionally to your cause. And that's why, you know, as we were writing this uh, book on, on leading with gratitude, it became so evident that this is just a, a ridiculously smart way to lead an organization and lovingly enough and uh, happily enough, a wonderful way just to live. Because I'll tell you what was fascinating, uh, you know, Dana and, and Paul, is that every great leader that we cited in the book, whether it was Ken Chenault, who was the past CEO of American Express, or uh, Kent Taylor, you know, the founder of Texas Roadhouse Restaurants, and on and on and on. Not only did they practice uh, that gratitude in their leadership style with their organizations, every one of them took it home. Every one of them used it in their personal lives. And for me, that was a, a really a wonderful awakening. And it just really warmed my heart that it wasn't just what they did. This just wasn't a system and a plan to make more money, right? This is really who they, who they are and, and the way they live. And it was wonderful that the two could come together in such a beautiful way. So Chester, I'm so glad we're going to talk about this topic of how are we going to create gratitude and appreciation when we're super stressed out and depleted at either work or home? What would you say to people that are struggling with either one aspect or facet of their life or the other in terms of creating more gratitude and joy and appreciation even when they're depleted? You know, you know, I have two things that, that I do, and, and one I've done for a long time, and the other that I've, I've, I've learned more through, through COVID. Uh, first and foremost, when I, when I feel depleted, I, I do what we've been talking about. I go out and serve. I try to get outside of myself, you know, and I'll, I'll even wake up and I'll, I'll text all my kids. I'll text a friend. I'll, I'll find a way to, to try to add some value to get my mind off my depletion. The second one, and I find that this has really been, as we've already talked about, it's, it's harder and yet really impactful, is reach out to friends and, and ask them for their help. Just say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm taking a mental health day today. I'm, there's a lot of things bugging me. Have you got some time just to spend with me? 
and, 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 you know, not talk me off the ledge, but just make me feel better about myself. I did this years ago and I hadn't learned the lesson, but I, I think it's a story that is, is relevant. I was having a really tough day at work and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to email five or six of my closest friends and the email read like this. I'm having a tough day. Email me a message and tell me I'm great. <laughs> and, and they all did, which was wonderful. That's when you know you have friends, right? One of my friends, Mike Goodson, has been a dear friend for forever. He didn't just email me back. He said, great, great, great doesn't even come close to describing you, Chester. In the pantheon of great, they would have to add a second floor. You are beyond great. You are Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what? I, I printed that out and I put it up on my bullet board for, for years, you know, and when it would get really rough and I'd feel like I'd screwed up or I disappointed somebody, I'd say, don't forget, man, you are Spartacus, you know, and it helped. Yeah, it reminds me, you know, that the negative bias discussion, right, that our brains are just wired for looking for trouble. And, um, you know, a lot of us wake up and we're kind of like ready for the alert. You know, what's gone wrong? What's on fire? And uh, some friends of mine said that they, they wake up in bed together, a husband and wife, and one says, it's a beautiful day. And the other says, it's a beautiful day. I love that. My wife and I have a tradition that I'd love to share with the listeners. At the end of every day, we wrap it up and we say, what are your three? And we say, what are the three things you're grateful for today? And it is just such a lovely way. You have to have come up with at least three. Often it's more than that. And sometimes it's simple things. You know, we had a good meal together or that it was a sunny day. And we both remarked that isn't it easier when it's a sunny day, it's just for your attitude. We got to see the grandkids today or we connected with an old friend. You know, gratitude journals, a lot of studies have been done that when you end the day in, in, a, in a mode of gratitude, you sleep better. Your blood pressure is a little lower. Your relationships are a little better. So I couldn't agree with you more, Paul. I mean, start the day, rewire your brain. And at the end of the day, rewire your brain. There, there are little triggers that just help. So the other thing we can also teach people is that to get yourself out of a negative mental space, which Chester and Paul talked about, you can actually stop right then and there in your tracks and say five things. I don't know why I say five, Chester, but I do instead of three, five things you're grateful for. And it actually turns you around. So let's challenge the listeners right now. If you're having a bad day, if you're having a low mental health day, we're going to pump you up right now. So here's five things that you can be grateful for. You're breathing, you're sleeping, you have somebody around you that you love, or you've talked to somebody that you love today. If you haven't, do it now. And perhaps it is that you have seen the sunrise or that you will be seeing the sunset. Some things that are sort of out there that are in your reach that don't need to take a ton of effort. They certainly don't require access to a whole lot of capital. Let's look for the little things and let's do it right now. Settle Smarter is produced by New Dog Media in association with Phoenix Fifth, who are solely responsible for the content. Check the show notes for links to our website, settlesmarter.com. To find Dana Look Aramoto's latest book, take the quiz, read more about today's guest, and to contact us with your response to the show or any questions or comments. And don't forget to subscribe to the Settle Smarter podcast and share the episode. 
Settle Smarter was recorded and edited by Paul Godwin, who also composed our theme music. Settle Smarter can be heard at Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you hear your podcasts. On behalf of Dana Look, Arimoto, and the whole Settle Smarter team, this is Paul Godwin saying, see you next time.